Hi, Ben. Hello, Janet. How are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me to Thank do you. this podcast. Um, so let's just get right into it. Can you tell us about what you do for a living? At okay, wait. I should explain. What am I doing adding another podcast into the lexicon of podcasts about sports and music that exist already? You all know that I study a form of movement, or maybe you don't, so here it is. I study conducting. And conducting is a form of movement in a sense, but conducting music is so much more than just moving. I presume that other forms of moving, or the act of moving itself, are so much more than what observers can see. Let's talk about movement first, though. Movement is so much more than just a feat of flexibility, strength, or stability. Movement can be the unstoppable joy forcing your muscles to pull up the corners of your mouth into a smile, the warm embrace of your loved one during cold time, the flickering of eyes belonging to someone with dementia recognizing a tune from their childhood, the rising chest from the person next to you alerting to you that you've miscounted and that your interest is now happening in half a breath's time. And of course, when limiting or pain-inducing, movement can become a symptom. Movement is a sign, a form of communication, from our bodies to us, then from us to others. These are the kinds of movements that inform my musical gestures, not just conducting patterns, big and small, or Alexander Technique and Le Bon Analysis. Of course, I want to take a moment and recognize that it's never the only form of communication, as there are those who can't use movement to communicate because of their disabilities. My teacher, Travis Cross, told me via a video commentary at my very first conducting symposium, I just want to see you open up your arms wide like a giant bird of prey. I hadn't discovered that kind of freedom of movement until I allowed myself to be challenged by other types of movement, by stability, momentum, and gravity. Roller skating helped me to open up and learn that. Spreading my wings feels like the freedom and the willingness to be vulnerable. For that, I am grateful always. Studying movement in any way as a conductor, a skater, and weightlifter has taught me so much about me as a musician. So I'm here to search, seek, explore, and understand what movement is and what exactly movement means to others. Can you tell us about what you do for a living and all that? Sure. So uh, I do a few things. Oh, and before I forget, I definitely want to introduce Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello. How are you doing today? Very good. To start things off, I asked both Mike and Ben about their experiences with movement and how exactly they deal with movement on a day-to-day -day basis. They gave me some two very different answers, despite both being physical therapists. From here on out, you'll probably hear Ben's answers first and then Mike's answers second, simply because that's the order in which I interviewed them. Uh, I do a few things. My main thing right now that I'm doing about 36 hours a week is being a PT student. I'm currently in my third year in which I have to do my clinical rotations, get experience, etc. Ah, but that's not all he does. I am a weightlifting coach. I own Revels Weightlifting Club located in Connecticut. It's a remote club, but most of the locations are in Connecticut. And I also train as an Olympic weightlifter as well. Oh, currently on the off season, just doing a lot of squats, doing a lot of general bodybuilding stuff. Cool. So needless to say, I think with sort of your job description and what you do on the side, it seems like you deal with movement quite a bit. Yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> I see different types of movements, whether they are good, bad, and whether they need to be corrected. Okay, yes. cool. Now, Mike, my friend Mike, is a very philosophical fellow 
who delved really quickly and really deeply into the world of movement as soon as we began speaking. I am a physical therapist, and the main thing that physical therapy does is fix movement issues. So we don't necessarily diagnose people with tendon problems or broken bones or things like this. We recognize those facts, but we are trying to find out the root cause of why dysfunction occurs in the human body. And that's where we diagnose movement. We come up with movement system impairment diagnoses. Okay. We interact with movement on a daily basis, obviously, through patient care. Other ways I interact with movement is through competitive weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting. And as you know, through the practice of that skill, it's integral that you understand your body and you understand the moving parts associated with those lifts in order to complete. It's no mistake that both of these people are Olympic weightlifters because I too practice Olympic weightlifting. And so this is how I know these two physical therapists and this is how we started this conversation at all. With that being said, what is your relationship between your life's work and movement? Well, I want to start off by saying the movement patterns I see in physical therapy is definitely different than what I will see uh, in a weightlifter. In terms of physical therapy, I'm more or less seeing movement impairments, uh, being unable to do their basic stuff. So being able to sleep, being able to dress themselves, shower themselves, cook, all the other things that you need to do in life. In terms of weightlifting, is very specific. I want to look at snatch and clean jerk only. So snatch is a movement where you bring the barbell from the floor to overhead in one motion. And then clean jerk is you do in two movements. You stop at the shoulders and you go overhead. So in which those two realms, it's different. The thing is though, with those two realms, they can also be mixed in together because both of them, I have to see whether or not they have movement impairments. So any of the athletes or patients have movement impairments, how I should fix them and whether or not those fixes are correct. If those fixes aren't correct, then I have to continue finding out which movement is best for them. I had to ask immediately thereafter to both of these people, what exactly is it that causes movement issues? Is it genetics? And if it is genetics, is it something that we can overcome and fix? And also, is it habitual? Because I kind of feel like it's a combination of both. And if it is a combination of both, how do we counteract that? And how do we fix it? Yeah, so definitely injuries, one. The other few things, it could be, yeah, repetitive injuries and stuff. It could be just lack of awareness. So a lot I've noticed with athletes too, this is how like the realms are mixing together. Some people don't have great proprioception. And so with not great proprioception, they're unable to figure out where their limbs are moving in space. And so in my job for both as a weightlifter, uh, weightlifting athletes, and patients of mine in physical therapy is to allow them to develop their proprioception in order to understand where their bodies are moving, where their limbs are moving, so that way they can develop better movement. Cool. So in terms of like having proprioceptive ability, is that something that you can gain over time or is that really just like a genetic thing that occurs? You can gain over time, thankfully. Very <laughs> slow though, very slow. The thing is with this too, it has to do with, um, so how I approach physical therapy, like, so I'm still a student. 
Um, definitely there's maybe other therapists that would say something different, but at least in my short-term experience, I have to give them the knowledge in order to understand where their body's moving. So there's a few things you have to consider. The visual aspect of knowing where their limbs are in space and their ability to understand so proprioception, where their body is moving without really looking. I have to combine those two first, as in I have to tell them where their limbs are and they have them physically find out where it is in space, then have them move their limbs in space in a correct way to the point where they can do it subconsciously. And that's where I find once they have an understanding uh, subconsciously, then that's when the proprioception comes in. Yeah. So. That's really, in I'm like smiling right now because it's the same exact thing as conducting. Okay. You like, if you don't have any proprioceptive ability when you're conducting, it's just not going to work. The thing about conducting is that we have, uh, we give visual stimuli to a group of people and they give us audi auditory stimuli and we have to be able to process auditory stimuli to understand how our visual stimuli is affecting them. Okay. So it's kind of like this feedback loop, but there you have to have the ability of understanding like how your limbs move in space okay. um, without seeing yourself. There's no mirror in front of us or anything like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm noticing that there are actually a lot of people who have a lot of bad conducting habits and they suffer from a lot of pain. Ooh. And it's because they don't know how to properly like um, relax their shoulders or relax, you know, tension in their trapezius muscles or whatever. It yeah. might be. So I think that's really cool. So I, I yeah. also want to ask you personally, in terms of the conducting piece, I feel like there is a lot more components to it rather than just seeing how they move and how to correct them. I feel like there's like a, is there like a rhythm piece to it too? Oh yeah. I mean like you have to have good internal time like okay. in general, like I can pick out 60 beats per minute out of thin air Okay. because I have such a close relationship with time. Okay. Um, I, I listened to metronomes to fall asleep while I was going to, um, mm. when I was going for my grad degree, for my yeah. master's degree. And I think that just, and, and also having internalized so much music, like I just have so much music that I can audiate in my head. Um, I can just pick out tempi pretty easily. And so people need to have that good internal sense of pulse, that rhythm. They need to be able to maintain that rhythm, even when the the people in front of them are slowing down and yeah. you have to be able to like push them like with your movement and stay in time with your internal pulse, even if they're not giving that back to you. Interesting. So yeah. there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot, a lot of components. So there's like the internalization of pulse, the internalization of the music itself, which you don't get to hear until you're in front of the podium, uh, in, in front of the musicians. Mm -hmm. There's, um, there's also just like understanding the physicality of like movement and yeah. like gravity and like counterbalance and all that stuff so that like you can create illusion, illusions essentially. Uh, people always ask me like, how do you show tension in music without being tense? And that's like one of the biggest questions in conducting is that like we can't be tense because that actually creates tension in the players, which creates bad sound. Oh. So we have to like create show tension in the line or like in the harmony in the music without getting tense yeah. and we have to kind of create illusions with our body hmm. so there's a lot going into yeah, it. yeah 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 um movement is fun yeah. <laughs> clearly we went off on a bit of a tangent there but it was a really interesting conversation and i thought it was really cool that ben asked me about how these movement patterns uh you know apply to conducting and Mike, in contrast, gave a very clinical answer, which I learned a lot from. That's the cause of the issue, is movement problems. 
right? So a tendon just doesn't get damaged or a muscle just doesn't get strained, especially if it's trained. You know, if you're a weightlifter and you're training all the time, that is really the cause of most orthopedic issues. Yeah, so it's like compounded over time. Yes, yeah. Whether it's, so for example, a really common thing is like desk workers, right? Everybody sits at a desk now. Everybody sits for like eight hours a day and they have positional faults, we call. So we diagnose, back up a little bit, we diagnose based off movement and then our secondary part of the diagnosis is positional faults. So for example, the if we we're talking about a patient with a neck pain, with neck pain of any kind, we would, a most common diagnosis with that is called cervical extension rotation syndrome, which means they have ex- excessive extension in their cervical spine and excessive rotation. And that comes from a forward head posture sitting on the computer. So that's our positional fault and our movement impairment is cervical extension rotation syndrome. Yeah. Now, you can get tendon issues from that. You can get joint problems from that. You get cartilage problems for that. Uh, And everybody tries to treat the symptoms, but you have to treat the root cause to fix those things. Otherwise, you can just keep re-injuring them and nothing gets better. And the root cause is movement pattern. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really cool. I mean, like we talk about this in conducting a lot too. Um, training movement pattern because we have to be able to live in two worlds where we are able to subconsciously move through the patterns that we are you know kind of assigned by the music while also dictating like what's going to happen next or cueing people but the thing is if you don't have that movement pattern down you can actually end up injuring yourself because they're not aware of it and they kind of just like lack I don't know, proprioception or like interoception maybe even, where they're just not aware of how their body is moving. And it's really also, it affects the musicians in front of them because if they're moving in a way that looks uncomfortable, it's also uncomfortable for musicians to play for them. My next question was about misconceptions regarding movement because there are many things that we have to unlearn or undo as we go through conducting schools, even if we're conducting um, with different teachers. So I wanted to see if in our everyday lives, there were things or even in lifting or other forms of movement, if there are things that we should know about that are misconceptions. I mean, one of the main things I want to talk about would be how movement can be bad for all people. There's classical exercises that people will say that is bad for everyone. I would say not necessarily all exercise, like one exercise is bad for all of them. It should be tailored towards the person. If they're tailored towards a person and they see a good response to the exercise, then that's a good exercise regardless of what anyone says. Um, That's one thing that, you know, it it can be debunked, Um, but... Like, can you give me an example? So a classic example would be the upright row. Um, It's an exercise where you are fully, pretty much internally rotated in your shoulder. Uh, So you're going from hip height all the way to about chest height with the barbell or whatever weight. And people say that that position mimics uh, a impingement test. uh, yeah, impingement test in which it's like the, I think it's a Hawkins-Kennedy test where you also are in shoulder internal rotation and sh- shoulder flexion. The thing is about that is if you are able to do it without any pain and you see a great response to it, you see development in your shoulders, you see development in your traps, then I don't see why not you can't do the movement. Um, if you feel that, you feel that same impingement sensation again where you feel like you're 
really shoulder hurts and is impinging and you feel like it's locking up as soon as you get to the top range then that's yeah that's not a good exercise for you so it has to be specific movement it has to be specific for sure okay cool. and it sounds like you also have to be very specific in your movements too you can't be just conducting as generalities it has to be very specific towards your style yeah it has to definitely be accommodated to the person's body type. so it definitely everyone has to cater to their own body and figure out ways to be creative with the way that we depict images for movement that's exactly how we have to tell patients and athletes how to lift too because it's specific to their body type yeah it's definitely something that um a lot of people will generalize movements like that and what ends up happening when you generalize a lot of movement patterns to the whole population is you'll get a bunch of bad habits and you'll get a bunch of like lifts or movements that aren't catered towards themselves um Right, but there is like a specific technique that applies to everyone. Yeah, that's and what I was going on to. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. So I was about to say, there's also principles. Now that you know, I'm going on the other side of the fence. There are principles in which we have to put forth with any other movements. There's got to be some sort of guideline in terms of how you snatch or how you clean or how you do this exercise, an upright right. row. There's no magic anything. It's just, well, we have to load it. We everybody, all my co or. Friends make fun of me. Oh, I gotta load it. Loading corner with Mike. Just load it. <laughs> yeah, but that's true, yeah. right? Everybody with like jumpers knee and like tendonitis in their elbows. First of all, we don't call it tendonitis anymore. We call it tendinopathy because there's no inflammation. There's no inflammatory cells in the tendon. Okay, that's why. Now it depends on the problem of the elbow, right? A lot of people have cartilage problems, maybe, but um, there's no inflammatory cells within the tendon. That's why everybody rests it and it doesn't get any better, right? Oh, I, I've had elbow pain for seven months. What do I do? You know, and it's it's not really uh, an inflammatory process. It is, if it were an inflammatory process, we'd get better, right? Yeah. A muscle, you strain a muscle. I'm going off off your question a little bit, but. No, that's actually, if, it's crazy. I have the next <laughs> question and that you're answering it wait, right now. My, great minds think about it. <laughs> um, if you strain a muscle, you... There's so much blood that goes to the muscle, right? So you strain your bicep, in a week it feels better. Strain your quad, probably in a week, couple weeks feels better, depending on the degree of strain. You strain cartilage or you damage cartilage or tendons, there's no blood flow that goes to those things, okay? They only get their fluid by movement, and they only get their, they get their, uh, I would say, pliability and healthiness through load, progressive load. Yeah. They're... The fibers oriented in a way where it kind of looks like a quilt, and if they're dysfunctional anyway, it's like a we call it the matrix, the extracellular matrix, and it's all just we'll just say jacked up. It's just it looks bad, yeah, right? Yeah. And so rest isn't going to change that. It's actually stress onto the tendon and and cartilage that that changes it. Cartilage is different. It's it doesn't regenerate. So if you tear cartilage off of your bone, the the nice cool highland cartilage that's really thin and or i'm sorry really smooth and it's super easy to move your joints that doesn't come back there's other cartilage that may grow there but it's not the same type of cartilage wow. but nevertheless it's still movement and load that makes those tissues healthy wow mm -hmm. so it's <laughs> like 
we need to move or something. I would say, yeah, I would say, to, <laughs> to answer your question. Needless to say, I am friends with both of these guys, and Ben had a lot of questions, and we actually went off on several tangents, and I wanted to share this part of the conversation where he talks about musicians being a type of athlete. Well, I've also been kind of thinking of the idea that musicians are also athletes as well, which makes sense because they are constantly moving in a rhythm that needs to be enforced by movement. That's kind of like how athletes are. They have, a they have a rhythm in which they have to execute a movement. Whether it has to be powerful or endurance-wise or strength-wise, they have a movement pattern that's in a rhythm that uh, elicits performance. And so your performance is music. Yeah. And it's, creating it's creating music. And for sure. And I think that the thing to consider, too, is that like the sort of muscles that we're using are like so microscopic compared to like athletes' muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from conductors. I think conductors are like the closest in terms of being athletes in that mm -hmm. way but do you you know what an embouchure is i do not know an embouchure is literally the name of the group of muscles around your mouth oh okay and oh like, yeah you know sense. what i mean yeah. so like there's actually something called focal dystonia have you heard of this no focal dystonia is actually when the muscles stop working in conjunction with your nerves and so like you try to get your muscles to work on your face and so like a lot of trumpet players will get that oh. because they have so much tension when they're playing here yeah. and they have to like there's so much resistance against their face the whole time and they're pushing with these muscles all the time. Yeah. And so it actually, like, deter the ability to, like, connect to these muscles, like, deteriorates over time for some people. And then they have to retire from playing. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then there's, you know, a lot of wrist injuries because people, like, use their wrists wrong while playing. Or there's a lot of, like, finger things. Like, oh, my pinky isn't moving fast enough because they need to be able to move all those things separately. And so I just think it's interesting. I wonder if there could be one day, like, a physical therapist who... Dedicates the music. Yeah. Well, if anything, I would probably, like... Uh, a physical therapist that would work with all types of people that are like athletes. I'm just saying like musicians can be considered as an athlete. Of course, I have to end each podcast by asking every single one of my guests, what does movement mean to you? And Mike and Ben gave me two very different answers. We'll start with Mike's answer first and then Ben's answer second. Hmm. Movement is life. It is life, right? Because things have to move in order for you to be cognizant of your being, of your actions. If your blood isn't moving, you're not living. If your heart isn't pumping, you're not going. You're not breathing. You're not breathing. You can't think. If your diaphragm isn't moving. You know, we could go we do all the chain, right? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. your muscles don't move and your bones don't and joints don't move, guess like we talked about earlier, you get degradation yeah. of tendons and so cartilage. Movement is life. Movement is life. Thank you. <laughs> I'm thinking of more of the movements in terms of group ideas as well. Elaborate in, on that. I'm curious. So <laughs> you have the physical movements that you're talking about, right? But I feel like movements can also be branched towards uh, like a social economical status type of movements where, yes, you have a group of people doing movements and stuff, but with that group, if they are eliciting the same idea, the same thoughts, the same kind of things that they want to they want to talk about in the world, that's also movement in terms of persuading ideas as well. Mm, yeah. 
And so, for example, how I coach Olympic Weightlifting, Rebels Weightlifting Club, it's almost like my movement is, yes, coaching how to snatch a clean jerk, but I also want to enforce high standards as well in terms of how the athlete moves and how the coach coaches. So I feel like in a way, you, so for all those listeners out there, Jana is an athlete of mine. <laughs> and so I feel like she kind of, and she knows how I coach. She's been with me for a little bit. But I wonder if you feel like there's also a like a big mission that I'm trying to accomplish as well in terms of the club. This, are, are you asking me? I'm right asking now? you, yes. I'm um, asking you. I mean, like, I honestly, like great... it's just every everything that you've done so far has been, like, so high standard. That's kind of how I feel, is that, like, yeah. you don't let let go of, like, what your standards are when coaching. It's never like, oh, that that's good enough. There's never, like, a good enough. It's yeah. just like, hey, not bad. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, like, good. But it's never like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was perfect, because it's never perfect. At least, like, that's how I feel when it comes to your club. You're constantly pushing us to like be on our um on our best game like mm. even even if we're having an off day you never fail to like let us know it's not like you're like oh it's an off day you're okay it's like no you still need to be making sure that you're on midfoot until you hit contact like yeah. that type of deal you know sure, yeah so that's kind of how i feel and also just that like you know you want us all to be strong I, that's how i feel about rebels yeah and so i feel like that is a movement in itself because that's persuasion of ideas it's a movement of an idea to put forth for all all people that you encounter so like you know uh that's what i want to add to that piece too i didn't think about that at all so thank you for idea. bringing yeah. that up <laughs> yeah no i mean it's really interesting right like how but like the pushing forth of an idea being the same name or the same word as like this like the physical aspects and like how if you think about it like all the physical things that i just listed like those are pushing of ideas and communication to yeah. people in the long run. So it's like movement is communication. Movement is communication. Yes, movement yeah. is communication. For sure. Okay, cool. Thank you for joining me again. This has been really Thank cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. This is cool. To both of these friends of mine, thank you so much to both Mike and Ben for coming onto this podcast and sharing their expertise and just their background and all of their knowledge. Every bit that they were willing to share helped me to understand a little bit more about myself, my body, and how I move through my musical gestures. I am also just so grateful to hear their perspectives on what movement means to them. To hear that movement means life, or that movement means the pushing of an idea or communication, just further reaffirms that I'm doing the right thing here, and I'm really excited to provide more episodes for you all. Um, there will be one episode per month. Uh, this takes quite a bit of time for me to edit, and so I'm just really grateful that I have people that are into this and excited about this idea. And if you are someone who deals with movement for a living, please reach out to me. My email is janetsongkim, J-A-N-E-T-S-O-N-G-K-I-M at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on my website. I'm really excited to hear from anyone that would love to talk about their relationship with movement. Thanks for listening. Talk to y'all soon.